Well, gather around your speakers on your computer, boys and girls, because it is Dev Hell Podcast number four. On this side is uh, is one of your hosts, Chris Harches, and on the other side is our other host, Ed Finkler. Say hi to the internet, Ed. Hello, internet. So yes, we're back for a fourth episode, proving that we are not a flash in the pan. So uh, <laughs> we just had a little bit of a gap, but you know we're going to try to stick to a regular recording schedule. But real life has a nasty way of intruding. So um, so this time out, I know that earlier we solicited on uh, Twitter asking for ideas. So we're going to talk a bit about uh, the conference experience, and we'll probably ramble and side off into other conversations. Uh, starting from that, but uh, we did start by uh, asking some people what they thought, and we kind of got some interesting stuff, Ed, so why don't you kind of, let's look at our lovely list of things that we were going to talk about. It really wasn't so, interesting. <laughs> wasn't. So someone asked us if we would uh, talk about, uh, first of all, uh, well-written PHP apps, and my immediate response to Ed was, there's no such thing as a well-written PHP yeah. app, which I suppose is kind of cynical, but I guess we exist. could talk about that really um, quickly, um, why do you think that there's really no examples that you could hold up as a? There's a difference between a successful application and a well-written one, right? Well, that's a big thing, and I think that I it, it's yeah, I, and and what makes for a successful application in the sense of like how many people are using it, I guess, and you know the criteria is going to be different for like this is a successful middleware application as opposed to, you know, XYZ, like a forum or a, or a blog tool or something like that. I think that, you know, what, how, you know, how you define success is going to be a little different, but um, I think there's a couple things. Uh, I guess the first thing I'd say is I, it seems like uh, the quality of the code often has little to do with how many people end up using it. Like an, mean, inver- an inverse relationship, you'd say, Ed? God, I don't know if that's the case. Like, right? I mean, but I think there's, uh, I I think there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that about like getting, you know, getting something popular, uh, and that uh, that doesn't have to do with it. I mean, the the example that sticks and I think would stick in everybody's head is is WordPress. And oh, I had nothing but nasty things to say about WordPress when I gave a talk at a um, a local user group last week. Yeah, and so. I don't, you know, I think there's some, I, let me, let me say, I guess that I think there's some nice things that are some interesting things that are in WordPress, but I would say overall, I think the code base is not, uh, easy to follow and it's overly complex and, and, and hard to kind of get your head around. And to some extent, that's because I would expect that it was, it was probably, it was written and it got popular and when you get to a point where suddenly you know better, uh, it's already popular, and now you can't change crap about it, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, you can't. There's a bunch of stuff you can't fix because there's, a, you know, you got a, a giant plugin architecture, and you know, or plugin community, and all this stuff. And unless you want to just break it all, you know, it's not going to happen, right? So, yeah, so, yeah, you know, and, and now that I think about this, I think almost like saying to somebody, what's an example of a well-written PHP application? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's how you should judge an app on how well it's written. Because, I mean, like you said, I, I, I almost think that it, it actually is an inverse thing. The more popular a particular application uh, written in a programming language is, the more likely that the internals 
are just garbage. And it may be that they're garbage at the core, but nice around the edges, or it may just be garbage all the way down. So, I mean, as much as that's an interesting question, I think it's more like you, if I want to, I, if you want to look at it one way, I think one way you could look at it and say, if you want an example of, of a well-written uh, PHP application, mm-hmm. as much as people hate it or kind of dislike it, but I think you could look at Symphony 2, the framework itself, and how they're, in terms of how they're trying, the, the high-level concepts of trying to put it together is kind of well thought out. Oh, it's I, very, uh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, we've had this discussion about, you know, typically I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a big fan of, of how, of, of the, I guess, overall coding style of Symphony 2, but I will say I think it is very well architected and elegant. I just happen to not really like it, just, it, it like it. Maybe my brain just doesn't sort of work the way that it works. You know yeah, what I mean? Fair enough. Fair enough, Ed. And I think, yeah, that, so that's the answer to our first question from Twitter. You want to look at sort of a well-designed PHP application? I think you should really look at Symphony 2 as a whole and uh, really try and understand what it is they're trying to achieve. I mean, I'm the same as Ed. I have some philosophical differences on the way that it works, but I think they're, they're trying really hard to do the right thing and, uh, I think that counts for that counts for a lot. Yeah, so, I mean, yep. I, I can think of a couple other examples. I mean, that I've messed with. I think the lithium code's good. I think that, uh, I think you know, if we're, so if we're talking, if we if we can include things like component libraries or frameworks or whatever, I would say uh, the Slim framework I've been doing a lot of work with lately. I think is actually really good. Um, I think Frappy that that. Um, which is sort of a front face. Despite all your slagging on it for dragging half of Zen Framework end with it. Well, see, the the Zen Framework stuff is only actually used for the admin tool, like the which it really all it does is just write out XML files that for config. That's really all it does. Um, the uh, the core of Frappy, I think, is actually pretty solid. And I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of pretty decent code in Zen Framework too. I think there's some things I might not do, but again, I I don't think it's I don't think it's horrible. I mean, believe me, I if there's, I think that, uh, say WordPress is much much is orders of magnitude harder to follow and more screwed up than any of those things, right? Yeah, um, no, I, I can't you know. argue with you. There. Yeah, so you know, um, I think what I found though is I think it, I think it tends to be that the best written code that I've seen. Uh, tends to be internal applications. If we're talking about applica- like things that users end up interacting with, is usually that stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah. All right. So, in other words, you can look at things. And, and lithium, lithium is cool, too, but lithium approaches the problem, um, I guess, slightly differently. I mean, it does a lot of stuff with uh, aspect-oriented programming that mm-hmm. Symfony doesn't. So they do some... I mean... That's how Nate is, right? Nate likes to do things slightly differently, so it's no shock that yeah. Lithium does things that way. I mean, I like the filter system, which is kind of a, a holdover from what they did in Cake. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I think uh, you look at it, and I think, again, they're doing some interesting stuff. So to all those people who are really looking for good examples of things, I'd say don't look at apps that are written on top of PHP. Look at, look at component libraries and look at frameworks and stuff like that because uh, – I would say that any framework that's been designed by more than one person, someone has had has had to put some thought into how to put that thing together. And yeah. I would say in all – I mean I've seen some terrible frameworks and I'm not going to shame any of them by naming them. But there are some that are really crappy and uh, – but ones that are I think really ones that 
are actually where more than one person actually contributes to it, you're probably you're going to see some you're going to see some well thought out code because uh, there's some pride in it too. Who wants to release a framework, especially in uh, in in this environment of sharing and open source and where everybody can see what you're doing? You you can't hide your garbage anywhere. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah, those are the things that I'd probably say if somebody wants to look at you know, quality stuff. I think that all of those are good examples and, and take different approaches. I think there's a lot of value in, in studying them, even if you end up saying, well, that's not really what I would do. Yeah, no, it's always important to understand what other people have done wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I know I've written lots of shitty code too. Okay. So the next thing that somebody asked about was deployment tools. Now, when we were discussing about this earlier today, uh, my personal opinions were I have done, so much stuff with deployment tools, I am bored out of my fucking mind talking about them. But you said right. to me that you don't use them. Yeah. So, well, the, so, and so, the, so, like, so what sort of questions do you have about them? Because maybe I can go over a lot of them from like a higher level without getting into specifics about them. So the short thing is that, I, so I don't sound like a complete idiot. It's just usually the stuff that I've done in my spare time hasn't. It was. It I haven't had like what I would say a project that was it really would have made sense to put the time into having some deployment tools for it. Um, I've set up some stuff where like, you know, I put it in a Git repo and then I pull out of the Git repo or something like that. So it's not like if that's a kind of deployment, you know, yeah, no, that's, that's but it's not what I, you know, that's not really, you know, what, what I figure. Um, And then in other cases, it's usually been that somebody else handled that. Like when I was doing real work or something, right. So it just ended up being that it, there just wasn't much, you know, either I didn't do it, somebody, somebody else was responsible for it, or it just, you know, the project was not uh, worthy of putting that time into, or just certainly there weren't enough people to make it, you know, to bother learning about it. So I don't, I'm not really familiar with like what, what approaches uh, there are that, you know, or what tools people would use to deploy PHP stuff. Well, how about well? Let's turn this on its head a little bit then. If you, what do you think would be uh, a deployment tool that you think would work well for you? Like, what if someone said to you, "You, Ed, I can build you a deployment tool." What are there some of the things based on maybe some of the stuff you've done at, at uh, Fictive Kin or other places? Like, what what sort of deployment tool do you think would would fit the way that you like to work? And then we can kind of riff on that, and I can right. give you my own thoughts on these things because because well, I I have a lot more experience with deployment tools, but right. It's inter- it's interesting. It would be interesting to me to get a uh, a perspective from somebody who hasn't really played with them much, mainly because you've been able to kind of pawn that work off on somebody else. But yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, like like if you were looking for a deployment tool, what sort of things would you look for? Well, so I mean, the general thought that I have about it is that I I we I tend to want to have some kind of stage deployment where you have a usually I'm running a local dev server like on my machine my local machine and then i would also i would have some kind of staging server that was on the internets that people could that more than one person could access but i could you know control who got to that and then i'd actually have probably a have a public machine and that would be actually where i'm deploying to right so so, you so you'd want a deployment tool that uh can work in multiple environments or is at least aware of what environment it's supposed to be deploying stuff to Right. Um, probably because, I, I mean, I tend to use Git a lot. It would be something where I'd want it to be able to deploy out of Git, and probably, to some extent, it would be triggered so that, you know, I could put in, I know there's hooks, hooks you can put into Git that, uh, 
<laughs> you know, like, okay, so if I push to this branch, it would, like, automatically deploy it on the staging or something like that. Like, it would automatically deploy, like, the master branch on the staging or something like that, so you, people could always look at it. Um, or do other things, like it would kick off, you know, jobs, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, some kind of unit testing or functional testing stuff, things like that. Um, that would just run automatically. Those would be things that I think would be useful. Um, I think uh, the ability to, if I find some kind of problem and I need to roll back to a previous version, doing that, being able to do that quickly is really, really important, right? Um, so that's another thing that it seems like would be good. So when I deploy out to the uh, to the production machine, I'd be able to pull that pull it back if I find something was horribly wrong, right? All right. So okay, that's cool. Um, so what about in terms of like how you actually uh, interact with the tool? Do you want something where you can control it from the command line? Do you uh, want? A I'd little, prefer that. What, would you Would you be cool with a web interface to go to do the deployment? Like what What would you prefer? Me, I'm like a command line. Yeah, guy, right? so, I I'd prefer so, a command so line. So I, I would like to be able to do a command uh, deploy. Basically, you could write a little DSL on top of it and say mm-hmm. deploy tag whatever to environment whatever, and then it goes and does everything that I want it to do. Right, I, I that would definitely be what I would want to do. It just it ends up being easier, I think, to integrate it with other stuff, and then also to kind of tell what's going on with a with a GUI tool. A lot of times, it might be hard to you know figure out what process is doing what, and like if it if it, every once in a while you get to a point where you're like I have to actually like s trace dash p something to actually tell what the hell it's doing, right, and. Uh, you at least to get a clue, you know. So it's always helpful to be able. I think the CLI stuff is always easier to follow in that sense to be able to kind of track down what's going on. So, so yeah, I my I would definitely tend to want something that was that that was a command line tool and not a not a GUI tool, not for me at least. Well, lucky for you, Ed. Yeah. Pretty much everything that you've been talking about is available yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of using deployment tools. So I can talk a bit about my own experiences. So yeah, yeah. I, I started off first at a place when I used to work for one of these dirty, scuzzy, uh, cheat on your uh, wife with a stranger dating website. They did all their deployments using um, bash scripts, right? right? Yeah. Which is pretty much them because once you – I tell people that the time to consider a tool for doing deployments is when you have to do something other than just copying code up. So once you start doing other stuff, database migrations, right. asset compression, stuff like that, you really need a tool so that so that you can get the computer to repeat this deployment process for you over and over again instead of you remembering to type everything in. So start off with shell scripts. Then the next tool that I started playing with was a tool that originated in the Ruby world called Capistrano. Started off as being only for the Ruby on Rails kids, but very early on they made the decision to make it generic. So basically any command that you could execute on a remote server, you could uh, you could make it work. So fooled around with Capistrano and do the same thing. And the thing I liked about Capistrano was that it could do uh, not only deployments, but it would also you could do rollbacks as well. So the the exact thing that you're talking about, if 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 the deploy went to shit and you need to roll stuff back with just one command. You could get it to stop. Uh, you could get it to roll everything back to the way it was before. Um, and then from then on, once I started playing with um, uh, continuous integration stuff, then you could start dealing with uh, Thing. Have you heard of that one, Ed? Yeah. Thing is not. I think it's like Thing is not GNU Make or. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I get confused I, because there's like Fix and Thing and yeah. Far and Fax 
And near and away and yeah, they're right. all kind of. I don't, yeah, they're right. all kind of named something similar. So I started using far because that's a uh, far. God, I even no, nice. I didn't use far. Well, well done, Ed. You got me confused. <laughs> so I started using thing because that was a a better fit for like a pure um, PHP environment. Because I tried to get my coworkers at one place to get Ruby installed on their machines where they're doing their dev work, right. and they just couldn't figure out how to get Ruby on and how to get Capistrano working. So I just gave up and said, okay, we can do our deployments off the server and here's the script that you run. And so, so now, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, I use Fing most of the time because nowadays most of the, the tools in the PHP space dealing with continuous integration, there's lots of it that integrates nicely with Fing. Like the Fix project, which I've been working with, which is a, uh, uh, open source project to help people create pair components. Right, that one that and, I trashed, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that exact one that you trashed. Right. Um, that one, yeah, so it uses Fing. So Fing is more popular. And the only drawback to Fing, if you want to call it a drawback, is that it uses XML. But I don't know why everyone slags on XML. It's pretty easy to understand. So it's just fear of not being hip, I guess, is uh, all the cool kids are using JSON. So I don't know, maybe maybe a deployment tool that reads in uh, JSON configurations is uh, will be the next uh, the next sweet thing to use on the PHP side of things. Yeah, better fix that. No, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I could get into the XML. I just find it hard to read. Like, I there's so much shit in there, and it's just, I find it distracting. Yeah, well, when you, like me, when you spent three years working for a company that did nothing but XML, you learn to ignore all the little tags and learn yeah. to... Okay, fair so, enough. So, so then the next thing to talk about is that you talked about how the idea of of, of being triggered by pushes. I mean, mm-hmm. all all modern version control systems have hooks. Right. So doing that sort of stuff like what we even use that at Moontoast, our deployment tool, uh, the uh, awesomely named Whiskey Disk does exactly that. You push. Well, you just code. say Whiskey Disk. Whiskey Disk is the name of the thing. Well, in the show notes, we'll provide a link for it because it always takes me two or three times of typing into Google to find the exact. Uh, uh, to find the exact combination of letters that spell it correctly to find the yeah. GitHub repo. Well, for I put in what I think you said in the notes. <laughs> but right. we'll fix it. We'll fix it in post. Okay, right. Right? Yeah. So, that, <laughs> so that is the same sort of thing where what it does, it sits there and monitors, it runs as a cron job, and it listens for uh, commits to certain branches. And then based on which branch you've uh, pushed your code to, mm-hmm. it then reacts and runs your, uh, runs your deployment. And that's what we use at Muntoast. So when we push the stage, it will trigger a deployment. Uh, it'll push the code. It does it, the thing. The thing that it does that I don't like is that it will do like a, a pull an update in place instead of doing the old check it out and then symlink swap, which is kind of what I like to do because that yeah. makes it easy. That makes it easier to roll back pure code changes. Right. And so then we get we have a, a script that gets run. Um, that's just the shell script, and it does all the other stuff that we needed to do. It, it, it uh, you know, runs our database migrations and stops services and uh, flushes caches and and starts all that stuff again. So luckily, Ed, pretty much everything that you've said that you've wanted um, is available and easy to use. On that one, yeah, easy to use, but sometimes kind of tricky to configure the first few times. I remember I spent quite a long time fiddling with the whole automated deployment thing until I got it working exactly the way that I wanted it to work. So, Right, right. Um, yeah, you know, I, so, like I said, so far I haven't had a, much of a reason to do it for, like, personal stuff, and other people have been doing it in other job and like real jobs that i've had but uh that's good to know that's interesting so uh hopefully that answered that dude's question 
Yeah, and to uh, to pimp myself out some more, I'm speaking at the uh, Git Summit next week that uh, PHP Architect has organized. The Summit. The Git Summit, the online Git Summit. It's on February the 1st, so I guess in a week and a half, I guess. February the 1st, right. um, half-day thing. Um, I'm talking, John, uh, John Murdick from... Uh, Sugar CRM is talking, right. and uh, Mr. Git himself, Travis Swicegood, will be talking as well. So I'm going to be spending an hour yelling at people about how Moontoast uses Git. So um, I encourage people. I know that tickets are starting to get in short supply, that if they really want to get kind of a, a get a good handle on uh, how some real-world examples of using Git to understand how and why people are using them, I would highly recommend uh, checking it out. Are you getting paid for this? I uh, to to speak at the conference. Yes, I am getting paid to speak. I was gonna say because otherwise we, you know, are they they need to start paying us for uh, talking about it on the show. Well, maybe we can get them to sponsor one of these episodes. They better one of these days. I'll bug Marco to be next get week. on that. He he hates me, so you better. Get on. <laughs> nah, well, luckily he likes me because he bought me dinner the other night. See, so, um, yeah, see, right. See, it's a Canadian thing, right? right. Do you live close to him? I didn't even uh, like yeah, that. like about. I, mean, I think maybe he's like about forty-five minutes to an hour away across the across the city. You got to fight through a lot of traffic okay. to get out to where I am, but but we're reasonably close. That uh, it's not that difficult for the two of us to get together if we if we really want to. I didn't know if you were like in a suburb or you were. Uh... I, I am in a suburb. I'm like the town that I'm in is like a bedroom community for Toronto. So okay. we're like. Our tent, we're like the last stop on one of the commuter rail lines, so the vast majority of people who live here who live here don't work here. So I gotcha, I gotcha. So, uh, third ring suburb or something, I guess, is what it would technically be called if you wanted to. Yeah, the third ring, the O ring, the the O ring, the oh my god, we're so far <laughs> from downtown ring. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So so let's have a look at the list here. I don't think there's really anything else, so we can just kind of. Yeah, we covered whiskey dick. So whiskey dick. <laughs> um, that's what you. That's what. Uh, oh no, I thought of a nasty Cal Evans joke about whiskey. But anyway, we won't. Uh, we won't go into that. So the conference experience. Oh, so yeah, this yeah. is the thing that I wanted to talk about. So uh, as I never got tired of telling people, I was at Code Mash um, last week. Now Code Mash is. Uh, um, Multi-platform, multi-language, as only way I can think of describe it, conference that's been held every year uh, since 2008. Yeah. It's it's all run by volunteers, so that in that way it helps keep the costs really low. And it's held at the Kalahari Resort, which has his pig fucking water park. That's the largest one in the states. Nice. Um, and so what they do is that they it's probably the largest tech conference held in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. This year they had 1200 attendees and over 100 speakers. Wow. So really huge like on uh, some of the, on the Thursday, which is it usually the conference is 3 days, the Wednesday is what they call their pre-compiler, so that's all like half-day tutorial sessions and stuff like that. Uh -huh. And then on the Thursday, there were some time slots that had eight different talks that you could go to, which I guess you kind of need to do because you're covering so many different languages. Yeah, right. Uh, so what I can see is this year, huge, like half, almost half the talks were .NET, 
which kind of put me off and put me to sleep, if you want the honest truth. So you wanted to kill yourself after... Well, well I'm like, man, why so much .NET? And then uh, then they had a lot of mobile stuff, and, the, and that stuff was interesting. Right. And then um, and then everything else got kind of lumped in, and there was me and one other lonely guy from Microsoft doing uh, discussing uh, PHP. So there are 1,200 attendees and two PHP programmers. I believe I said there was there were 2.7, and then someone uh, someone said, "Oh no, I'm here." There's 3.7, and then somebody else said, "Well, there were four, and then I cut one of them for not writing a test." So that's where we got the right. 3.7 from. Right. Uh, so when I gave my talk, there was probably 30 people. Um, 30, I think probably about 30 people came out to hear me talk. Right. Which which doesn't do my ego any good, but no, considering you should what, feel bad about that. Well, I did, and then I realized, well, I'm like, you know, only one of however many talking slots. So, right. so. <laughs> what I'm going to do the math here. So we got 1,200 divided by eight. You should have pulled in at least 150 people. Yes, I should have, but yet sadly, uh, <laughs> it was not meant to. Maybe be. if you talked about uh, PHP on .NET, it would have helped. <laughs> I believe there's a project for that. It's called Phalanger. Yes, it's called This Will Never Be Compatible. <laughs> it's called it's called Microsoft Will Sue This Out of Existence. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll talk about CodeMash for a bit. So I yeah. think... I, I think CodeMash is actually a very worthwhile conference to go to because it gives you... Uh, it gives you a chance to become very uncomfortable about certain things. It gives you a chance that... Most of the conferences that you and I go to tend to be, unless you go to OSCON, they tend to be really focused on one language. Yeah, right? very much so. Yeah. So, so that's a little bit different, and it kind of gives some people a chance to be the big fish in a little pond. And and I won't I won't lie to you, Ed. I I, I like being a big deal at a conference and talking and and, but it's a very different thing when you go to a conference where, I guess it would be like. I don't know what the equivalent would be of like at tech. If you were like uh, a .NET guy talking about uh, uh, talking about .NET at uh, PHP Tech, right? right. Yeah, right. It, CodeMash very much has a Microsoft. We do our work on Windows, um, and we're all about enterprise and billable hours. And right. and but they had Ruby guys there, and those Ruby guys were really really sharp and really out there. And I uh, enjoyed grinding my teeth and pounding my fist on things when I heard about all the cool stuff that the Ruby guys were doing in terms of testing and deployment and all this other stuff. And I'm like, man, I have the wrong set of passions for PHP at times. Yep. Um, you know, and so that was a source of frustration. But but the thing I did when I went to this conference, I tried to go to talks that were outside of what I do on a daily basis. And I think that's hard to do if if you go to like, PHP Tech, or if you go to ZenCon, where it's all PHP and it's very easy to just sit there and hang out with your buddies and go to, and I'll agree, I'll go to a talk to heckle somebody I know, or, you know, I'm, oh, I've worked with this thing before, I want to go see what this person has to say. But when I went, it's like there was only one other PHP talk and he was going to be right after mine. And I don't know about you, but when I give a talk, when I'm done, I'm like, I need to like decompress for like an hour to like let the tension all wind out and reflect on having given the talk and if I do it again, how I would do it differently. So yeah, um, my my throat's usually sore and I'm all sweaty. And yeah, uh, you know, like in my in my talk, I actually ran out of time in that hour long talk. I had 90 slides and I had to like 
plow through the last 20 slides just to finish. Yep. Uh, just to finish on time. So that was a very weird experience because usually I feel like I run the risk of running out of material instead of actually going right. over. Did you, so, do you know if they uh, – do they have like surveys or like about the talks? Like do they have people oh, rate no. the talks? No. So you dodged a bullet really. <laughs> that asshole piece. <laughs> He hung me out to dry uh, right. by not finishing his talk. Right. So, yeah, so there's – but I will say, like, CodeMesh has very much kind of a volunteer. Uh, we're just as – you know, we're the same as you guys. But, I mean, I went and saw a talk on uh, 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 UI, uh, user experience, and user interface stuff. I saw a talk from a guy from Microsoft on on kind of time management. They gave me some cool ideas. I sat through a talk on, on uh, getting Node working on – um, Windows using their Azure, their cloud thing that they got going. I sat through uh, um, uh, one of these code katas. Have you ever heard of a code kata, Ed? You know what that is? No, that sounds kind of weird. Okay, basically what a code kata is, it's like they're considered like little problems that you do over and over again as practice. They're coding stuff. So, for example, like you here's a problem, and then you would implement that problem and the a solution for that problem in your language of choice. And then when you want to go back and practice, you may pick, like it may be, I'm going to do this in PHP, and then the next time I'm going to try to solve this problem in Python, or in the next time I'm going to try to solve this problem in JavaScript. So it's based like, in this case, there was a talk by this guy, uh, Jim, uh, Jim Wyrick, and his claim to fame is he's a big-time Ruby guy. He's the guy that created Rake, which is basically right. make, yeah. make for the folks right mm -hmm. so he so he sat through this thing and it was a whole test driven uh, tdd session code cutter where like the problem was we're going to write an arabic to roman numeral converter and so in 45 minutes from start to finish he guided us through starting it was written in ruby he used rspec as his testing tool and he went and we just basically it was like an audience participation thing like what things should we try testing first and then, okay, we did that. And what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And then as we wrote tests, then he showed some really cool stuff that I think you only learn from programming. Stuff like, well, we have all these if statements. We can change all these if statements into whiles. So he changed all the ifs into whiles, and all the tests still passed, right? Oh, yeah, and then yeah, once, yeah okay. Right? And then once he changed it into – and then, okay, now that we have all these while statements, look how they're all similar. So now we can refactor these six while statements into one while statement, and then we provide a map of values that say this Arabic number value translates into a Roman numeral. And so I was just, I'm not a Ruby guy. I had a chance to be a Ruby guy in like 2005 and I passed it up to do more PHP stuff and work from home half the time. And uh, so I could have been one of those guys. And so it was, I mean, not as, not nearly as good as him, but, but the whole idea of the, of the culture of testing and all that stuff. So it was really interesting to see him, I mean, obviously a very smart guy. I mean, the the fact that he uses Emacs says a lot about uh, what his skill set is like. So right. it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So I think that's kind of interesting. And in you talked about like implementing it the the same thing in different languages. I I often find that's useful to a, a really good learning process. Where if you know if you know how to solve a task one way, and you sort of know the stuff that goes into it you can use that as sort of a, the, okay, this is a test case for, I think it's a good way to like, okay, I'm going to like, I've done it with different frameworks in PHP where I've said, 
uh, let me try to implement this kind of a thing in PHP that I already know how to do, or I'm going to implement it using, I don't know, Cake as opposed to Code Igniter or whatever. And I've often found that's a really useful thing because it's it's like I'm not worried about like these sort of like design decisions that oftentimes I think sort of get in the way of like, well, it's going to, you know, figuring out both like the, what the application is going to be and also what the code to accomplish that's going to be. You only have to worry about one of those things. And I think that's pretty useful. So it's interesting to, to hear about that, about like taking that same task, and implementing it in different ways. So yeah, cause yeah. The, the, the way that he, um, he kind of sold it a little bit too, was this idea that by doing these little katas and, and solving these kind of common problems and implementing common algorithms that those things become, you be, you almost become able to do those things by muscle memory. And right. so that, again, if you keep doing these sort of, uh, not trivial, but the next step up from them, so these simple solutions, if you learn how to code them, uh, how to solve them in multiple languages, that it sort of frees your mind up so you can think about solving the really difficult problems. Yeah. So, again, that's, I mean, uh, Ruby has that, that's the the whole code kata thing came out of Ruby. And, again, that's just, I think it's it's... It's a really good generic uh, programming practice. So, um, so yeah. So I saw that talk. Uh, oh yeah, I went. Uh, I went and uh, went to a talk that would have been interest to you guys at, at uh, Fictive Kin mm-hmm. on some more uh, kind of an intro and some advanced usage of Vagrant, which is that little Ruby toolkit that can work nicely with VirtualBox to let you provision. Um, provision virtual machines and configure them using Puppet and Chef. Why so, I was just using Vagrant today. Yeah, so see, there you go. So that was kind of good. I had done a little bit with Vagrant, and he said he – this guy apologized because he was trying to cram. He said, I'm trying to cram a three-hour hands-on tutorial into a one-hour talk. Right. So the one tool that he did talk about that I had not heard of before that could be used with Vagrant was this thing called Vivo. Mm-hmm. And that is sort of seems to be designed to let you take like a ISO that you download for like a Linux distribution and then – turn that into a, a vagrant box oh, so okay. i thought yeah so i thought that was kind of a cool alternative if you wanted to like roll your own vagrant boxes because he talked about how in the places that he's worked that it was very helpful once everybody started using vagrant then you could share development environments you could literally tell someone okay my vagrant box is here on you know in maybe not in dropbox but like in a uh, NFS share or someplace else that everybody in the team could get it, and they could download it and run it themselves on their own machine and take a look and make sure that it was behaving for them the same way that it was behaving for you. Right. Yeah. We uh, that I mean, we are deploying our our VMs for develop. We do all our development on on uh, a VM in VirtualBox, and uh, so that's what we started using Vagrant for was to basically do a better way of deploying that stuff. And of automating it, building it correctly, and and also to make make updates and changes to it. So, um, I think that's gone pretty well. Sean is the one who's actually doing all of it. So Sean Coates. So he would obviously be able to speak to that way better than I would. But yeah, definitely, uh, it seems like a pretty cool tool. And uh, we're really, I you know, working on the VM stuff is I really think much much better than trying to build a like a development environment oh yeah your, that's what on yep, your host yep. machine oh on, yeah like, because we had i've been at other places where you try to do that and it's like you know 
the designer always has problems. Well, my, his Apache screws up, and then it's like, well, how do I get into it? What am I going to do, SSH into his machine from here? And is that really safe? And does he want me, you know, mucking around in there as root? And, you know, there's it's all sorts of problems with this. And it's, I, I think the the way that we have it set up is really much nicer. And I think it it ends up causing <laughs> a lot less hassles, and it's a lot cleaner. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so so uh, so I kind of went over all the things that I went and saw at CodeMash, and I and I, I felt that it's kind of important that if you're going there with the intention to learn something, then really you should try to find talks that cover topics that are going to make you uncomfortable when you have to sit through them, and really concentrate, and not fuck around on your laptop, and not uh, keep refreshing Twitter on your uh, on your iPhone. That you can go there with the go into a talk with the idea that. This is something different. This is something that I don't normally use, so I want to try to learn something about it. Yeah, totally. The, those have always been the best experiences for me when I've done that. And in a lot of cases, it's I think it's like I uh, when I've taken things where it was like an intro to XYZ, like Erlang. Like I did this one, like an Erlang tutorial at OzCon once. And I don't remember shit from it, and I couldn't, I couldn't code a lick at Erlang if I tried even like 15 minutes after that, but I learned a lot from it. I think it was interesting. And, you know, sometimes it goes better than others, but, but, uh, I had a good intro to, uh, some Python like stuff in, what was it? Was it pylons? I think, um, I had, that was a good experience. Um, I think, you know, just learning about different technologies, uh, and different ways of developing, I think it's really useful. Um, I've got at OzCon, they have a ton of Perl stuff, and I think it's really useful to go to their, you know, where they're talking about a lot of stuff. It's like the stuff for like intermediate and advanced folks, I couldn't cover because I'm not intermediate or advanced, any of that. But things that are maybe a little higher level or like kind of intro level stuff, higher level in the sense of like it's talking about like what they're trying to do, sort of in, um, like I've, I've gone a couple times to talks about Parrot. Um, which I still don't know. We're Pearl 6. Um, I've gone to, you know, stuff about that. It's always been interesting. Um, even if you just sit there and just listen to it, you know, if you're just sitting around fucking around on Twitter, you could do that at home. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. You know. so, uh, so, well, it's good to see that we kind of share the same philosophy there uh, about trying to, you, you go to these things to kind of expand your knowledge. And, and like I said, I, I, I talked about, going to something that makes you uncomfortable because chances are you're going to be paying attention to what they're talking about instead of like sort of half listening because it's it's i mean i think that happens when you go to a to a single focus conference where yeah okay they're talking about something like okay i've kind of heard about this before so i'm only kind of half paying attention and you may miss some uh, nugget of wisdom that the speaker uh uh, drops down on you right yeah well i mean and this maybe i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit but talk about the general conference experience i think that if it, especially if you get into this sort of like speaking circuit thing a little bit where you are go to say, you know, a, a few different conferences a year and you, you know, you see some of the same people like all the time uh, and they're sort of single focus kinds of things. Um, it tends to be like what you get out of it is pretty different. And a lot of times it, what you get out of it is not the talks. Right. Um, and I still think it's valuable. Uh, in a lot of ways, um, I still think you, you oftentimes come home, you know, inspired by just being able to hang out and talk with people, talk about what they're doing and, and things like that. But, uh, it, it's different. Like if you're, if you find yourself going to those things a few times, like, like, you know, more frequently, I think you, 
you end up getting to that sort of thing where you kind of you end up going to less and less talks, or the ones you do go to, you kind of just yeah, around yeah, because you see, because you're like, you'll see, oh, okay, person X is talking about technology Z again. I've I saw the intro. This is still kind of the intro talk. Maybe if he were to do an advanced level talk, I'd want to sit in on it. So again, yeah, I, I find that's kind of been my experience too. Once you've spoken at the same conference a few times, you do see that, and even if you do pay attention to all these things, you see that. Uh, certain people they talk about the same things all the time so it's kind of like you end up you're right you end up going to less and less talks instead of doing what they call the um the conference track right where you ha- just you spend more time hanging out with people so one right. one thing i wanted to ask you about your thoughts on this ed about the the conference track do you think that if you're if you're a newbie at the conference scene and that you're at first few times that you're attending a conference do you think you get more out of going to the talks or seeking out people that you recognize from the community and hanging out with them uh, in the hallway instead of going to talks? Like, what do you think about that? I, what my experience, I guess it varies uh, to some extent, you know, on the conference and, you know, sometimes the talks are better or sometimes they're not. But generally um, I think, I think the experience that I have as somebody who's spoken at, I guess, you know, for a while there, I was speaking at three or four conferences for a few years in a row, right? And you get to a point where it's kind of like, yes, I've done this. Like, it's kind of, you know, your experience is very different than probably it is for the vast majority of attendees because they're not going to three or four conferences uh, a year and seeing a lot of the same people and hearing a lot of the same talks, right? So, so in some sense, my experience is going to be a little, is going to be, fairly different and I, I don't know if I could speak to it as much. What I what I know is that um I think I think it's really valuable to go to the talks um because uh, you know when when you're sort of when you don't have that you know that speaker circuit kind of thing. Uh I think it is really valuable for most attendees because I think it I think the opportunities that you get at conferences to hear about stuff that maybe you don't hear about normally is really cool. Um I think that my experience as somebody who comes from a, you know, I live in a fairly small city of about, you know, 100,000 people, and there's university here, but there's not, like, a big, like, tech scene here or something like that, right? That we don't have, like, a PHP users group. There is, there's a Linux users group on campus, but that's, like, the closest thing we've got. Um, there's some, you know... Uh, there's a couple things here and there, but for the most part, we don't really have much of a place to discuss that kind of stuff. Like there aren't a lot of people who, uh, we, we, or it's, there's not a lot of organized like discussion of this kind of thing or user group things or stuff like that. So as a consequence, a lot of these times, and I think for a lot of people, um, these conferences are oftentimes one of the few opportunities they have in a year to actually meet with a lot of people who are doing the same kinds of things. And I, the things that I always get out of that when I go to those things are I oftentimes come away with, uh, you know, especially when I'm going to a place where there's talks that I haven't seen before and, you know, things like that. I, I come away with lots of new interesting things to look at and I come away really inspired getting to speak with people about like what they're doing and stuff like that. So on two levels, like there's, you know, there's the talk stuff about different technologies and things I get to, you know, get to kind of examine. But there's also but there's also that other side where they call the hallway uh circuit whatever the, the hallway, hallway track, track yeah. hallway track track yeah that um you know 
now my experience like at a conference that's not a code it's not a you know program conference like a south by southwest the i find the talks are super hit or miss um they do a lot of panel format stuff and sometimes the talks are good and sometimes they're just you know terrible i think and so but it tends to be when it's gone well it's been the hallway track has been useful like being able to hang out and spend time with people and and you know talk about different things um so you know it varies a little bit like if i go to someplace like oscon i think i'm going to pick up a lot more by uh you know for me i'm probably going to go to a lot of stuff that's related to like ruby talks and python talks and Perl talks and stuff like that because the php stuff i probably have seen most of that stuff before but again i don't think my experience is particularly like other people's and do you, do you feel like there's almost like a tipping point that when you've gone to a certain number of conferences, <clears throat> attending them, not just speaking, but you've been to a certain, or you've been to that particular conference a number of times, that there comes a, like a tipping point where it becomes more interesting to hang out with the people rather than go to the talks? Yeah, I think sometimes it does. And it's, I, and I, I don't know, I don't know that that's, that's good or bad necessarily. Sometimes I think, like, South by Southwest, it was a case where the first year I went, I really liked it. And then every year after that, I liked it about 50% less, right? To the point where it was like, I I'm, I haven't gone, I'm not going this year, I didn't go last year, and I don't intend to go again anytime soon, because I really, it just got, I, I enjoyed it less and less. Um, but that's a different thing. It's not a technical conference, right? Um I think that to some extent, because it's like, you know, hey, you know, you see if you start kind of seeing the same people and it's in the same venue and it's similar kinds of talks. then yeah, I think that happens. Now, sometimes I, I you know, that's not necessarily bad. I mean, there's certainly people who have gone to OSCON year after year after year after year and it work it's, you know, they like it. Um, but I think sometimes you have to. Maybe you might be, you know, think, do I need to go to this? You know, what am I going to be getting out of it? What am I going to, you know, and I think, I think sometimes it's, it's valuable to, to step back and see, you know, to try to assess that stuff. Um, I think for, I think for me, I've, I, you know, like last year I went to less conferences and I think that was a good thing. Um, I think it also helped me focus more on what we were doing at Fictive Kin, and I think that was really good. Um, so I went to like two or three, and those worked out pretty well. Like uh, we, you know, I went to Brooklyn Beta, and that's kind of interesting because that's it's a it's really sort of a design and developer conference. So kind of both, I guess. It's sort of designed from top to bottom, like making things, right? Creating applications and, you know, design and implementation, that whole, you know, thing wrapped up to it. Um, that yeah, was I have I have very mixed opinions of conferences like Brooklyn Beta. Yeah. And not, not because of the content, because I think the content is, uh, um, it sounded like there were some really inspiring talks there. Right. But... Brooklyn Beta kind of struck me, uh, and conferences like they're like, they kind of struck me as like they're invitation only, and kind of like you have to know somebody if you're going to go. And maybe that's not a fair comparison, but I kind of look at it and go like, it just I'm trying to think of the right word to describe it, but it's kind of like, like, and I want to make it clear, I'm not, uh, 
I'm not upset that I didn't go or have the opportunity to go or whatever because right. I could have probably manically refreshed on the Eventbrite page and, and gotten a ticket to go. It just kind of strikes me. It's not so much a conference but kind of like a pat on the back type of thing that's going on. You know, Do you understand yeah, what I mean? I do. It's and, kinda, because of the yeah. people involved in it, I'm like, yeah, I kind of know you guys. And it seems like – it's like you're just like saying like I want to – I'm coming up with an excuse to – hang out with my friends and I'm calling it a and and it's a conference but it's not really a conference it's like you can't you can't there's no call for papers they're picking everybody who's coming to talk so there's not like you don't get a chance to say hey I'd like to talk at your conference there's no open you know what I mean it's kind of like it's yeah. I, I think it would have been a very interesting thing to go to mm-hmm. but when you compare it to the usual kind of conference experience where there's a call for papers and all this stuff it kind of like it just was like it kind of there's kind of like a, I don't know, there's kind of a smarminess to it. I mean, you, so know, what that, I, you, know, you know what I mean? I, I know what you mean. It's interesting because I think my perspective is different because I'm, uh, I guess, pretty good friends with the, I guess, the two main people who organized it. Yeah. And I... Now, let's and, be clear here before you go on further. Yeah. I like Sean. Yeah. And I like Chris Shiflett as well. Right. It's just that I look at, I'm, tr- I'm trying to separate how I feel about a conference or event of that style so separate them from how I know they are as people. Cause they're great people. I've every time I've right. spoken to either one of those guys, yeah. I've enjoyed it and it's been informative. It just, it just, it kind of just, it, it rubs me the wrong way. And I, and, and I can't quite articulate why I'm not a hundred percent sure why I feel like it's smarmy or, or all these other kind of like, it's not, it's, you know what I mean? It's like too exclusive or elitist or I'm not quite sure what the, what the right emotion that I'm feeling about this thing. I mean, so, I would love to go, I would love right. to go, but I look at, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm not going because I think it's like, you know, it's hipster designer central or whatever. It's just, there's just something about the whole thing that, that I just, there, there, there's something not quite right in my head when I look at this thing and right. I'm unable to articulate it. So I, 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 there's some things I know that they do and I know why they do it. But I can see why somebody who's not intimately familiar with it would could could kind of get that impression, and I think it's sort of a natural tendency people have. So let me let me articulate that. Um, they have a thing that a lot of people want to go to, and they want to keep it small, and they kind of want to. Uh, so there's those those two things. So if you want to keep things small, but a lot of people want to go to it, and you don't want to make it invitation only, which they don't, um, the way it's going to be is that you have to be fair and open up the tickets, and they're going to go in like 15 minutes. And I'm not sure how else you solve that problem. I don't know. Oh, that's that's right. that's not my that's not what I'm worried. So about. so it may not be what you're worried about. So yeah. I'm just saying that that that's kind of what happens. Now the in terms of uh, who gets to talk stuff like that? I, you know, th- yeah, I like you kind of get what I mean, right? Yeah, no, I, like, I, 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 you know what the thing is, is that I think that my tendency might be to feel the same way if I didn't know the people involved, which to some extent might say about me. I have a tendency to view things negatively, or it's elitist if I feel like I don't have an opportunity to participate in it in the same way. Like maybe I feel like. Like, I think there's a natural tendency 
about of and I think this especially happens with programmers and I'm not sure 100 percent why about there's like the why wasn't I consulted on this kind of deal right <laughs> right yeah. and I, I understand okay. that yep so there's more of a feeling of I have an opportunity to be consulted if there's say an open call for papers or you know why didn't I get to vote on this and you know you know why didn't I get to discuss this in slash dot comments um so I think you know I so my suspicion is that because I do this too and I do this with other conferences that I don't know the people involved in and my tendency might be to be kind of a hater about it okay for lack of a better term or for like it that would sort of make me a little bit feel a little bit weird and uncomfortable about it um my experience in attending the last two Brooklyn betas has been that actually they're really inclusive and really not elitist and it is not the case where um they're like throwing some dude up there is like you really got to listen to this guy this is a big time guy and you know and other people don't have opportunities to sort of express themselves and do that actually i think they really go out of their way to do that and make it really down to earth so it's sort of like a lot of times what i found is like when something made me feel uncomfortable like that or kind of like boy this doesn't feel like it's a jiving with my stuff you know um and if i had an opportunity to maybe discuss it with somebody who was involved i found that really useful because i think i i was able to kind of get where they were coming from more and I think times when I don't do that, I have a tendency to view it like, well, these guys are just, or my my natural tendency is to kind of feel like, eh, I don't really like something about this. And it kind of feels like maybe they're not being inclusive and they're being kind of dickheads or whatever, or, or it's turning into some kind of like, you know, hipster fruit fest, which is not, you know, not my bag of beans. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. It's just, you know what I mean? It's like... It... The thing is, there's no way for me to express this without coming across as either whiny or a <laughs> hater yeah. or thinking that I have a bigger stature than I really do. It's just that I looked at this and I said, there's just – okay, number one, it's in New York. I could go if I – I mean it, right. I look at all these things and I could I could have uh, – this isn't a sour grapes thing. It's not like say, well, I don't want to go anyway. It's like, yeah, I, I could have gone if I really wanted to. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm sure – and here's the thing is that – that people have to understand when I'm talking about this. The conference itself looked awesome. The yeah. speakers, what they talked about, looked awesome. Yeah. I knew people that were going to be at the conference, and and you know, I know this is turning into the the reach around thing here, but they're they're like really smart guys should. too, yes, yes, right? So I look at this and go, this whole thing, it just sounds awesome, but it just it's like there's just. I guess it's because I don't know Sean and, and Chris Shiflett and those guys and, and Cameron and all those guys. I don't know them really well. Right. I mean, I probably know Sean the best out of that group. So I kind of look at it and go, eh, I don't really know these guys and they're doing this thing. And just, uh, I mean, maybe there is a part of this. Why was the, the, why wasn't I consulted uh, thing to it? It's just that it's just the, this, I always feel like a, at a conference that, that you should be at least have the opportunity to say, I would love to speak at your conference and when conferences when they always the i mean the, the reverse of this is something really cool that uh jsconf is doing where instead of having a call for papers they're doing a call for speakers so they had everybody who wants to go to the conference and is buying a ticket they're voting on who they would like to come and talk yeah. and talk to them about specific topics so that's right. a kind of a, a kind of a different way of doing it as well so yeah. please people so please people listening i, I don't hate 
Chris Shiflet. I don't hate Sean. Yeah, yes, you do. I, I don't hate Brooklyn Bay. It's just that <laughs> there's just something about this thing that I'm just unable to architect, uh, articulate why it may, why this 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 particular style of conference makes me on makes me feel skeevy about it. Where I'm like, ah, there's just something not. I'm not because probably the the probably the real problem is. It's so different from other conferences that I've gone to that I would like to think that I'm a pretty open and understanding guy about right. being exposed to new ideas. But maybe maybe conferences are a place where I have a blind spot where my brain is not willing to accept that there are multiple ways to create an incredibly successful conference. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned JSConf because I sort of had – like I've had a little bit of the same feelings about that and – I think a lot of that for me, and I, in this case, I'm not saying that this is, you know, uh, similar to what, what you're feeling about Brooklyn beta. Um, for me, I think a lot of it had to do with, um, me feeling like I knew a lot about, I, I, like, like if I, with the, the PHP specific conferences that are going on, there's a good chance that I know people where I could say, "Hey, I submit a talk, and there's probably a good chance it'll be accepted because I've spoken to lots of lots of these before. People know me. It's it seems like usually my talks have gotten, uh, you know, tend to get re- well received. So that usually is, uh, you know, goes pretty well for me. So when I, I, it's like if you go from that, you sort of I went into the JSConf stuff after, uh, you know, I'd done a fair bit of JavaScript stuff, doing some things in Spaz and stuff like that. But people don't really know who I am in, in the JavaScript community. And frankly, they shouldn't because I don't really know jack shit about this stuff. And, I, well, I, not that I know a ton about PHP, but, the, but I know even less about JavaScript. And the th- kinds of things that I've, you know, say, given in community, this or that or whatever, I, you know... I'm not in nearly the same kind of position. So I definitely felt like I did, I think I submitted a talk or something on to JSConf and um, I'm not sure if I never heard back. This was a couple years ago. I'm not sure if I ever heard back or anything, but I think I talked to the guy who was the organizer and uh, like, I think he didn't really necessarily understand where I, I was kind of like, Hey, what was going on? And he was kind of like, "Oh, uh, well, let me see if I can get you a ticket at this price or something." I was like, "Wait, what?" And I didn't really exactly understand what he was talking about. I thought maybe he was like, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't, co- I didn't one hundred percent understand. The whole thing kind of didn't go great. And then I see they're always talking about like they've got some kind of like fucking pirate theme, and everybody has to talk about like pirates, and then they're having a bunch of like wicked ass parties and everybody's getting drunk. And I think I was just like, you know what? Part of me felt, I think my, I think my ego was just kind of wounded a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and you know what, what a really, what it was, was I, I was expecting to be treated, you know, in X, Y, Z way, just because I, I guess I just thought, I should be because I, and I, my ego was too big and I got a little bruised and that kind of hurt my feelings. Um, I mean, so that's one reason why, you know, <laughs> sometimes people are like, Oh, you, you know, you, you should go to like JS conference. You should go to this or that. And I'm like, dude, I, one, I, it's, I don't know if I could. And I'm also like, I go there and, or, or people have said, Oh, you should propose a, a talk there. And I'm like, 
I don't, dude, I don't think I, a talk that I made would even get accepted. I don't even know exactly what I'd talk about because I don't think I know what the fuck I'm talking about compared to like all the other people who are talking about shit there. They're all talking about the really high level stuff and doing really cutting edge stuff in JS. And I'm like, I, dude, I can barely keep shit together <laughs> to like just, you know, barely make a, a page work, right? So, yeah. so Ed, are you, are you trying to tell me that, uh, that I feel, uh, I feel anger towards Brooklyn Beta because of my ego. Yes, exactly. No, that's it. in fact I said that. I said not that. I said I, I'm not comparing you and me in this case. I'm saying that. Yeah, but... it, you know, like I said, it's it's an interesting. It's I can understand the JS company because you know to the if you look at Code Mash, right? right? At Code Mash, the only I mean I do know one of the organizers because he he was the publisher for my previous book, uh-huh. so that makes it kind of. That makes it a little bit easier to get some visibility when you submit a proposal to talk because they can say, oh, yeah, I know this guy. And mm-hmm. so it, it sort of perhaps it influences. And there's the thing, too, I wanted to uh, – that I mean I was told there were only seven talks, only seven PHP talks proposed really? for CodeMesh. Only right? seven? Wow. Only seven. So <laughs> here, here's, the, here's the thing I wanted to talk about. CodeMesh, okay, it would be trivial – for the organizers of CodeMesh to say to say we'll do less .NET and we'll take away a Ruby talk here or there right. and take away like one mobile uh, I, you know mobile slot and get PHP some more exposure right. at this conference right yep. and so but the thing is I was trying to explain to people the thing I would tell people about CodeMesh CodeMesh does not guarantee that they reimburse speakers right, right. you get to attend the thing for free and that's cool in the gang yep. but um, they don't guarantee reimbursement but I will say is that I got reimbursed from my hotel rooms and they seem to pretty much guarantee that you'll get reimbursed for your hotel room. So if you're going to speak at this conference, I could see why you're reluctant if you would have to fly in because you'd be on yeah. the hook for you'd be on the hook for your own flight unless your employer is willing to foot the bill. But I think I think what I would like to see happen uh, for CodeMash for next year is that. Let's get some more PHP people submitting stuff. It's a good conference. I mean, it's in a decent spot to get to. If you're in the Midwest, Midwest, it's easy to get to. If you're in Chicago, it's only it's like a five hour drive. Yeah, like, you, I can, mean, you I, can make that drive. Yeah. I mean, I drove five hours, six hours mm-hmm. from uh, from the Grumpy Dungeon here to get to uh, to get to uh, lovely Sandusky, Ohio. So it's not hard to get to. It's just. It's it's one of these problems where they don't see a lot of PHP, so PHP people don't think to submit talks. There's not a lot of JavaScript, so JavaScript people don't submit talks. But the reason right. why they didn't have so many JavaScript and Python and PHP talks was because people didn't submit. The Ruby guys, there's a you know there's a big cluster of of like hardcore Rubyists in Cincinnati. They all fucking came up. There was tons of Ruby guys right. at this conference. There's no reason why with a little bit of effort that we couldn't get a nice cluster of of PHP because I mean really I think it's sad that it was me and some uh, shill from Microsoft talking about PHP at this conference. Right. When PHP is probably in terms of like actual amount of uh, applications out there you can add up every other language that was there and there's still more PHP applications and PHP developers doing stuff out there. Yeah, that may be. Um, 
There's a lot of .NET stuff out there, but yeah, I know yeah, what you mean. I know what you but mean. But you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's a whole other thing, but I think um, even within the PHP community, I think uh, people wildly underestimate how many PHP developers are out there, especially when they talk about like getting us all going in the same direction. There should only be one package manager. There should only be one framework. Why do we have to keep rewriting it? Well, because there's literally like millions of developers, um, and they're all going to do their own thing. Okay, so... That being said, um, you know, well, one thing that'd be interesting was uh, how do you, you know, and we kind of wrote about this a little bit in our in our notes here about what to talk about. Um, you know, uh, you think more people should submit to Codemash. Do you think it's generally a good idea that people uh, say, hey, you know what, I should try giving a talk and like submit a talk to a conference like this? Absolutely. I mean, okay. Here's here's the whole thing, right? People are afraid. It's it's an it's a it's an ego thing. It's a bruised ego when you submit and you don't get accepted. I mean, it's happened to us repeatedly, both of us, multiple times where you've submitted oh, yeah. a talk and you get rejected. And and yeah. you know what? I'm not going to lie. It hurts sometimes. Yep. It hurts when you really wanted to go and you submit, and especially hurts if you submitted like four or five talk ideas. Yep. And none of them got accepted, Brr, and you're like, yep. you know, and you're like, fuck this, I don't, I don't care about this conference anymore. And you're like, I'm going to filter all this shit on Twitter when I hear people talking about it too. Yep. But so, so the thing is, it's, it's not as, I would say that these days it's almost easier for a new speaker to get accepted because once, once there's once a particular conference has been going for a number of years. Mm-hmm. It becomes harder and harder for people to continue um, to get automatic slots, right? Because yeah. it's like, because even the guys who run the conference, they must get sick of of seeing the same people. I mean, there's that there's that dichotomy there. You want to have certain people always speak at your conference because that encourages people to come out and pay right. to see it. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I do know from talking to people who've organized PHP Tech and some of the other ones that they want new people to submit stuff and they yeah. want new ideas to come in. So I I mean, it's it's just fear. People people don't want to submit because they're afraid of being rejected, right? Yeah. And like this, you know, and this is the thing. I'm sure you've talked about this with your kid is that mm-hmm. i just tell my kids the worst thing that's going to happen though worst thing that's going to happen is that they're going to say no the best thing that's going to happen is that you're going to go you're going to get treated awesome and you're going to get to meet uh, uh a whole fuckload of people who think about the same things that you think about and right. care about programming in the same way that you do and yeah. That's, right. I think that is the opportunity that people miss out on any miss out on when they when they say oh man nobody's interested in what I have to say me I'm like the total opposite I'm like I'm like everybody's interested in what I have to say so I have no <laughs> problem like right. I have no problem like throwing like three or four um, uh, submissions in at any conference right. that I feel like going right now I have found with this last set of, of conferences that I went to that um, the rejections have stung a lot less. And right? I'm not sure, and I'm not sure what's happened that makes the rejection hurt less than it did before. But just maybe it's because I've done these things a few times, and that I, un- I that I understand the meta game of conferences, right. and that to also, despite me joking about like hopping in my car and driving down to Nashville to give uh, to give Cal Evans some proper motivation to pick my talks, right. um, you know, <laughs> I understand that it's it's a numbers thing, and that. That every year, the more times that a particular conference goes on, they get more and more submissions. And not only do they get more and more submissions, the 
the topics get more interesting and the overall level of all the talks goes up. And right. so that becomes a, a – so. But at the same time, they are also very, very – and I tell people, listen, they are very, very conscious of wanting to get new people, people who haven't spoken at conferences before right. to, uh, to come up. And I tell you, if anybody's listening and they want some advice on how to put talks together and, and, and all the stuff about the whole conference experience, I'm more than happy to talk to people about this and help them out. Help them out with slides. Help them out with ideas. Help them out with things where they because many times you think that something you're, that you yourself are doing is not interesting because you've been doing it for a while ever. But I'd be willing to bet you, in a lot of cases, there are lots of people out there who either have no idea about this thing that you've been working on, right. or they've or they've they've been exposed to it at such a really tiny level that that what you can give to them is. Uh, is humongous and 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 will you know push them onwards to become better about everything that they do. Yeah, I you know what I found worked well was um, was having opportunities um, around locally to talk to probably smaller numbers of people first. Then maybe there's a couple you know it might be like a group of people you work with or something like you know friends or something where who are also working or or colleagues right who are working and you know doing programming stuff or things and you can kind of talk about something you've been working on i think those sort of smaller opportunities to present all that stuff it's a good place to to work on those kinds of things and sort of practice and feel out like what works and what doesn't um so i think have, that, you, have you done that ed have you done like tech talks at places where you've worked yeah you know that's come up and it, you know it's nice because you know when i worked at purdue and it's still it's even come up it comes up sometimes after work when you're at a, a, a when you're involved with a you know big organization especially an academic organization there's a lot of like interest and knowledge sharing so there's usually lots of opportunities sort of in general it's kind of part of the culture you know, to have an opportunity to like, oh, you know, we're going to have a lunch and, you know, a couple guys are going to talk about things they're working on or things like that. You know, get people to, together from different departments and they're just, you know, hey, this is what I'm doing and present about that. And there's a lot, there's usually opportunities for that kind of stuff. And I found that that was really good for sort of getting my legs a little bit with that stuff and getting my feet wet to throw out several different metaphors. Um <laughs> with uh you know with with that kind of thing because then you you sort of get a little more confident and it's in a, but it's on a smaller level it's not like you're like i go from nothing to suddenly being you know in like a big room right where you're standing on a stage or some crap like that which still i don't really like i don't like those you know doing those kinds of talks um but uh i think that stuff's really useful i also think you know when people talk about um you know you talked about like well do i get to you know I, how you do this sort of the sort of I guess it's you could say it's a meta game or whatever about um, getting your talks picked. It certainly helps if they have some feeling and confidence that you know what you're talking about, as opposed to somebody as you're just like I'm. You know they don't know you from Adam, right? And so I think it really helped me to get started by doing a doing like getting my own code out there starting to work on a couple different projects and things like that that was just like oh this might be an interesting idea and also blogging about it you know writing about this stuff and if you can write intelligently about it 
there's a much better chance that you can speak intelligently about it. Now, you can't always, or, you know, it might be that you really have trouble public speaking or things like that, and that's fine. Maybe that's not, you know, maybe that's not your thing. That's cool. But if it's something that you really were like, you know, I wish I could do that, well, I think those are, you know, some ways you can kind of get started in that and make it more likely that something's going to get picked up. Um, I think that stuff helps a lot. If you're anywhere near where there's a users group, usually, man, they'll let you talk if as as oh, long as yeah. you as long yep. as you will not get up there and just start like screaming profanities. They will let you talk about whatever if it is vaguely related to what the user group is. Um, so, you know, those are really good places to kind of start to start, kind of work that stuff up, and then you know, get recognized a little bit as, yeah, this guy, you know, he knows what he's talking about. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it with the intent that, oh, I was going to become a well-known, you know, burp, 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 and this. Um, but it, that stuff has certainly, has worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's just, know? it's just happened that way. I was the same thing. I always had wanted to go to one of these conferences and I always had wanted to speak. So when those opportunities came up, it was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I like going and then right. you meet people and then you talk and then you meet the talkers and, and, and it just kind of snowballs and it becomes like a, it, you go there and you get that one of us feeling, you know what I mean? You go there yeah. like, yes, I'm with, I'm, I'm, I'm with people who kind of think the same way that I, that I do and that are passionate about programming. And it doesn't even matter that it's PHP. It's just like passionate about doing shit and building shit and always yeah. interested in, in, and always. And the thing I have found from going to these conferences that almost all the talkers are all the, they're all interested in what you're working on. And they're yeah. always, and yeah. even in, like, you know, in, and, I also tell people like it's it's easy to be intimidated when you go to one of these conferences yeah. and you meet someone who you only know through um, the internet through or even someone and it probably be even weirder if it's somebody that you've never actually conversed with like via email or instant message or whatever right. you know them from your blog or whatever so I imagine sometimes that well I mean I meet people at these conferences and like oh yeah I follow your blog and I've never spoken to this person mm -hmm. and there's this there's that split second of like a weirdness thing and then i realized that probably some of this has to do with the fact that i'm very large and i'm very loud and i'm probably intimidating towards a lot of people when they meet me for the first time right so but just the idea like you go to these things to learn and also to meet people and to understand that that these people who you see dropping the mad skills on twitter and on blogs and stuff they were just like you at one time too right and they worked super hard and and got their skill up and uh, I don't think I've ever run into anybody at any conference uh, who hasn't been willing to share about something that they've been doing. Or oh, willing, yeah. You know what I mean? That's really the that's really the main reason to well, go these, to, to to share to share the stuff that you've done because I know that I often end up talking a lot more about stuff that's sort of tangential to the if I if I'm lucky enough to be giving a talk at that conference that the right. thing I end up talking to people about the most often is not related to the talk at all. It's just something else that that. That was like in my mind as a little splinter, and now that I'm with people who kind of think the same way that I do, I can yank that splinter out and show it to people and say, "Hey, I've been thinking about this," and then that will trigger a whole bunch of a flurry of activity and commentary about about whatever this thing is, you know? Yeah, I, you know, sometimes I, yeah, I, I get, I, the intimidation thing it always kind of, I always feel think it's funny because I, you know, I can tell sometimes where you know, uh, if I'm speaking and then some people might be a little, I could kind of tell they might want to, you know, they might come and talk to me, but they seem a little bit nervous and dude, I'm an idiot. I don't know why, 
anyone would feel that way about because that's, I don't really know what I'm talking about, you know. Um, I or at very least, I believe me, I don't have a great. I'm I'm very conscious of the fact that I there's a lot of stuff I don't know about, or at least I try to remember that, and so I I really. Uh, one, I really, it's really nice for me if somebody ever wants to come and talk to me about stuff and I'm happy to, you know, you know, jabber about things or shoot things off. And then the other side is I just feel like I, you know, I just, I sort of wish more people would, would come up and talk about stuff because I, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's valuable and, and, uh, and they shouldn't be intimidated, but I understand why. And, um, and I certainly feel the same way. I feel the same way about people who I know pretty well sometimes where I'm like, go up and interact with them. But I really, I feel like, you know, they totally really know their stuff about these things and I don't. And I'm sort of, you know, intimidated by that. So I, I can, I can really understand that. Uh, but, you know, I, I would really encourage people where, you know, just, just, inter- you know, it, it, for me, getting up and, and, uh, talking in front of people, the times when it works out best is it's really, it's just like, look, this is something I've done before and I can talk about what my experiences have been with it and what works for me. And, uh, then it's not really that much different than just having a conversation with some people who are sort of interested in programming or do, or also programmers or sort of have some knowledge and the same kind of interest and really enjoy doing those kinds of things. So that's when it works out well. So it's not that different than just sitting around and talking with a few dudes, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I know. I, I try to say at the end of my talks, I try to say to people, like, when the talk is done, I said, come up and talk to me. Talk about anything that you want. I says, don't feel intimidated or anything. I said, right. I was just smart enough to figure out how to get up here and talk. I'm no, I'm really no different from the rest of you guys. Yeah, that, so, yeah believe you know, me. Yeah, there's much smarter people than me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so this. that's kind of how I look at it too. It's like I'm, uh, I'm here to learn stuff. If you want to come up and talk to me about stuff, uh, that's cool. I mean I find uh, it, it's kind of interesting that when you've – when you're done with your talk – and then there's the people up at the front that want to talk to you, and you kind of see that hesitation and yeah. and other things. And I'm like, dude, I don't bite. I said, I'm happy. So what do you want to talk about, man? You have some questions about this stuff. And then, you know, sometimes time prevents me from covering everything that I want to uh, cover in right. those little two minutes afterwards. And I say, come on, man, let's go into the hallway and talk about it. Or or yeah. I hand out a business card to a guy. I said, man, hit me up after. Or here's my email address. Uh, you know, hit me up, and and I'd love to talk about this uh, with you more. So it's just. Yeah, man. I, I tell so to get back to this whole thing. Submit, submit talks. Yeah. Don't be, a, don't the re, get over the rejection thing. I know it's hard to just to tell someone don't fear rejection, um, but man, every single person that you see speak at a conference has been rejected multiple times. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. At at various conferences, so don't feel like uh, I see people all the time when I talk about call for when I mentioned call for papers on Twitter and stuff like, Oh man, nobody wants to, wants to hear what I'm talking about. So I don't know. People definitely will want to hear what you talk about. So, but the best way they're never going to hear is if you never say anything. So, Oh yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I don't know. I think we might be the end of our stuff here. I think, yeah, I think the, uh, my cake PHP clock I have in the wall in my office says that it's, uh, it's time to go. You have a cake so, PHP clock. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, way back when I worked very briefly for the Cake Development Corporation. Oh, okay, right. Um, yeah, when they first started up, I worked there for a couple of months, and uh, 
how can I put this? Yeah, personality conflicts led sure. me to uh, uh, jump before I was pushed, I guess is the best way to say that. And um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I have a Cake PHP mug and I had a Cake PHP t-shirt that I unfortunately got splattered with paint on when I was painting one time. And I have a Cake PHP clock that's on the wall in my office. Well, you got so, something out of it. I did get something out of it. Um, but, yeah, so I think we're done here, Ed. So, as that's always... Good. Awesome talking to you, man. And yeah. also, for all our listeners, don't forget, we have the website, uh, devhell.info. This podcast is available. You can listen to it on the site. It's also available on iTunes. I believe in our next episode, we will actually have our first guest joining us. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, we'll reveal some more details once we've nailed down the time when uh, this person will be speaking with us. So until then, thanks very much. Talk to you soon, Ed. I'll talk to you, man. Okay.